from KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the Great Bar Sports Open Line. Those bits swings, and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Great Bar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Here we go. Now, Matt Pauley on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, man, let's get going here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Let's go. I don't have you for that much time this evening. We're done a bit early. Not even a full hour's worth of a Gray Bar Sports Open line tonight. We are going to step aside early for St. Louis University women's basketball. They are in action tonight against Missouri State, coming off that huge win against Missouri over the weekend. And we'll see if they can get another interstate rivalry win tonight. Again, our coverage will start about 645. So I'll take you till about uh, then here on KMOX. As always, if you want to join us, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. That's how you call it. That's how you text. You can also tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air. We've got some breaking news over the course of the last hour or so. Mentioned this at uh, 545, but the National League Cy Young Award, it goes to Blake Snell of the Padres. An overwhelming victory for Blake Snell. Of the 30 possible first-place votes, he got 28 of them. And the two people who did not vote him first, they each voted him second as he finished with 204 points. Second on that list was the Giants' Logan Webb. He has 86 points. So uh, Blake Snell, the overwhelming winner of the National League Cy Young Award winner. Logan Webb got one first-place vote. Zach Gallen got one first-place vote as well. The top vote-getter in the NL Central was the Cubs' Justin Steele. He ended up with uh, one second-place vote and then a handful of uh, third, fourth, and fifth-place votes. The uh, only other uh, player in the top eight uh, there from the division, the Brewers' Corbin Burns. He received one second-place vote, two fourth-place votes, and uh, five fifth-place votes, a former NL Cy Young Award winner himself. But Blake Snell, who is a free agent, I don't know if the I mean the Cardinals have been connected to everybody. If you're a free agent and you can pitch, you're going to be connected to the Cardinals. But I of everybody who's out there, I I feel like Blake Snell is the longest of shots for the Cardinals. He might be the best answer. I mean he just won the Cy Young award, right? Like he's he's the best possible uh solution to fix a pitching staff because he's arguably the top pitcher in the National League, just winning the uh, National League Cy Young Award. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the Cardinals are going to play in that play box or uh, sandbox, I should say. Uh, I, I think they are going to be involved with Yamamoto and Nola and Gray and and other other players like that. I just, the, my gut tells me, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong a lot in the last year or so when assessing things connected to uh to baseball. But I just I would be I would be shocked. I'd be happy to be wrong, but I would be shocked if the Cardinals become one of the big time players uh for Blake Snell. But Kevin Wheeler and I were having a conversation today off air. And we were discussing what what needs to happen for there to be a move that's made this offseason that's really going to be good for, say, ticket sales. Like The Cardinals right now are in the middle of going through renewals for season tickets and things like that, and there's just not a lot of juice right now with the team, right? They're coming off a last-place finish, and there hasn't been many headlines. And they're going to 
they're going to renew a substantial portion of their season tickets every year just because they're the Cardinals and it's great going to Bush Stadium and it's it's a fantastic environment and all those things matter. But there are a group of people who spend their hard-earned money on season tickets who I think want to be more who want to feel better about the on-field product. So what's what's the move? What are the moves that move ticket sales, that get more season ticket that renewals, maybe even induce some some first-time season ticket holders? And if you go sign Blake Snell, that probably does it a little bit. That being said, that being said, I as somebody who talks to Cardinals fans on the post-game show after a vast majority of games during during the course of the year, I think Blake Snell would drive a certain percentage of Cardinals fans crazy with the way he pitches. He gets himself into trouble. He issues lots of walks. He doesn't pitch deep into games. Like These are things that sort of the old school baseball fan doesn't like. And it's it's largely the direction, especially when we're talking about not pitching deep into games, it's largely the the direction that the game is moving. And you're gonna get more and more used to it on a on a year by year basis. I just I can I can almost just feel what it would be like if Blake Snell was a Cardinal and they go spend all this money on him, giving him thirty plus million dollars per year on a really long term deal, and then he's going out there throwing five six innings and walking four or five guys and getting himself into trouble and then getting himself out of trouble uh, with strikeouts because the strikeout guy's got tons of swing and miss. That's the that's the thing about Blake Snell. He can strike out anybody. He can get out of any jam at any moment, any time. It doesn't matter because the dude can strike you out. He can strike out everybody in baseball. And that's what's fun about him, and that's largely why he ended up winning uh, the Cy Young Award. So Blake Snell is your National League Cy Young Award winner. Uh, just announced in the last uh, 10 minutes or so, uh, Garrett Cole. From the New York Yankees, he won the Cy Young Award on the American League side of things. It is his first career Cy Young Award. So there are your Cy Young Award winners. This comes a day after the Managers of the Year were announced. And uh, Skip Schumacher, the former Cardinal, former Cardinals bench coach, he was uh, he won that uh, yesterday. Speaking of uh, managerial stuff across uh, baseball as well, it did become official today. The Milwaukee Brewers named former bench coach, uh, Pat Murphy is their new manager, and they're going to keep most of the uh, staff that was there under Craig Council in place. There's a few new people coming in. They brought in Ricky Weeks to be what you and I would call a bench coach, but they're not calling him the bench coach. They're calling him the associate manager. So uh, the the Brewers are going with some uh, some different names. In fact, they they took a bunch of guys who are on the staff, and they gave them new titles uh, one of them is now the major league field coordinator, which I don't even know what that is. In, in baseball, you have a minor league field coordinator, and that's someone who has big responsibilities uh, across the minor league system and, and keeping things uh, pretty consistent from, from one location to another. I don't know what in the world they are going to uh, have the major league field coordinator do, but uh, that's what happened in Milwaukee today. So that was the that was the result of Craig Council going from Milwaukee to Chicago. Now Pat Murphy is the manager uh, in Milwaukee. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of where uh, things are at. All right, we're going to, uh, when we return, we are going to talk with uh, Katie Shields. She is the women's soccer coach at St. Louis University. They are getting ready for their second round NCAA tournament matchup. They're going to take on Georgetown in a match that's going to be played on neutral site at Penn State coming up on Friday. We'll uh, find out from uh, Coach Shields what it's like getting ready for this second round matchup. We'll do that in just a moment. 
It's Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. This is America's Sports Voice, KMOX. It is the Gray Bar Sports Open Line here on KMOX. A little bit of a short show today. We'll get done early for coverage of uh, St. Louis University women's basketball. They match up against Missouri State tonight. The uh, St. Louis University women's soccer team, they are continuing their run in the NCAA tournament. They get a 2 nothing win against Indiana last Friday, and uh, they are uh, going to match up against Georgetown, a game that's being played at uh, Penn State this weekend, and we're very happy to uh, be able to welcome on to the program once again. She is the head coach of the SLU women's soccer team. She is Coach Katie Shields. Coach, thanks for taking some time uh, with us today. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. In route right now to State College with the team, so all, all good here. Take me through uh, what the travel has been like and where you're at and what you've been doing and, and everything that you're doing uh, from kind of a logistical standpoint to get ready for Friday. Yeah, we uh, had a great kind of last training at Herman Stadium last, uh, last night and then departed pretty early this morning, left campus, landed in Pittsburgh, got a great training session in in Pittsburgh, and now we're on the final stretch on the bus here to uh, State College. We'll get in there tonight and then a training day tomorrow to prepare and play Friday. When you're going, so you talk about, you know, getting in some work uh, in Pittsburgh and using somebody else's facility. When you're at this time of the year and you do need to find those other facilities, is it you? Is it assistant coaches? Like what goes into that as you're trying to put together this whole trip, especially when it comes to getting in some training like you did earlier today? Yeah, it's a little bit who's got the connection in the given town. It happened to be me uh, today. We we got to train at the uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds Stadium. It's beautiful, USL Stadium right on the river. Uh, one of the most spectacular kind of studies in, in soccer. So we had that connection through recruiting some of their youth players, and they've been good to us over the years. So it was, a, it was great. It worked out perfectly for our, our travels. Let's go back to Friday. You got that 2 nothing home win against Indiana. Uh, clearly you're going to be happy uh, with that final result. How would you assess, though, beyond just the final score and beyond the result, how would you assess the way your team played? Yeah, I really, we were really happy and loved their performance in that game. I think to come out really fast start, we drew that penalty kick 11 minutes in, running uh, at their backs. Hannah Larson, one of our really special players, we knew that could be something she could do earn that PK and then to have a super senior Abby Miller step up, a hometown girl, bury the penalty kick, obviously off on a fast start and then to get another uh, goal early, you know, in the game to go 2-0 at halftime, tremendous again, set piece service on a corner kick from Hannah, Hannah Larson, another super senior St. Louis in scoring the goal, Anna Lawler, um, it, it was tremendous and then I'm really proud of the way uh, we defended and really took away any quality chances from Indiana. And then our back line, they were a wall. Emily Percelli, our goalkeeper, um, just absolutely ice in the veins, making you know, making the play she needs to make in those moments. So I was really, really happy with our performance because it was a little bit different um, from some, some of the other wins we've had over this year. When you're in a, a do-or-die type situation, you have to win to keep your season alive. You're up 2 nothing at halftime. Do you change things in the second half? Do you try to pack it in a, a little bit more, or do you just continue to stay with who you are? Yeah, we, we really want to stay true to who we are. I mean, the message at halftime against Indiana was go get the third goal. Go put them away. Um, and we, we had some good chances to do that, but obviously the score stayed as it was, and then 
as the game wears in playoff soccer, we are going to be a little bit more conservative uh, with about, you know, 20, 15, 20 minutes left. Um, and we don't change a whole lot, but we just make maybe some more conservative choices in terms of the numbers we're risking going forward. But for ourselves, like, we just we want to play the game, not the occasion, uh, and be really, really true to our identity. We're talking with Katie Shields, the uh, SLU women's uh, soccer coach, as they get ready for a matchup against Georgetown coming up on Friday in the second round of the NCAA tournament. As a coach and as a staff, do you guys just try to treat this like every other game, or is it this is a, a clearly a very big game, and you, you're not gonna you know, you're not gonna trick anybody to, to not knowing what it is? Uh, do you treat this differently? What's kind of the mental approach to such a big moment like this? Yeah, I think we're just preparing as as we prepared for big games. I mean, we're, we're very fortunate to have such an experienced team, uh, you know, in this group. We've got a lot of true seniors, super seniors, women that have played in big games and championship games. They've all been in the NCAA tournament multiple years. So, you know, for us, it's, they know how to prepare. It's just our job to make sure we put together a game plan that they're in a position to execute. Um, so there's not a whole lot different. They know what's at stake. Um, and, and if anything, make sure they're playing with the joy that makes them so special. This is a Georgetown team. They're coming off uh, a win in their first matchup against Old Dominion 2-1. They had a really good finish to their uh, to their regular season. As you assess them, how much of a challenge is this? Uh, they're tremendous. I mean, no one in the second round of the NCAA yeah. tournament, you know, is, is an easy matchup. And I would say we, we like the matchup, but we believe they're – they are talented. You know, they have special players. We have special players. I think it's a, for us, it'll be, you know, on in a given moment, who makes, who lets their special shine and makes the play. Set pieces always in playoff soccer um, are a vital course. We're pretty special, special at them. But um, Georgetown's going to, they're going to have some chances of their own. We're going to try to take away what makes them, what makes them go. But you got two, two double champions coming at this game. So it, it'll be a fantastic match of college soccer. Is it good for you guys to be there so early? You're there today, obviously, and you'll get stuff in tomorrow and then finally play on Friday. I know it's a day game on Friday, so that changes things around a little bit. But does it, what's, is there any impact whatsoever of the travel maybe being just a little bit different than what it would be during, uh, during the rest of the season? Uh, Matt, I don't know about you, but have you been to State College? This is not a close destination. Uh, so, you know, it was important for us to, for us, we, we typically actually do East Town on a Wednesday, and our team has been known to be on the road Wednesday through Sunday. So it's not a, it's not unique, obviously getting in a day early to allow us to train at Penn State on the field we'll be playing on, we think is an important advantage, and just get some of that travel, get your travel legs back under you. So, um, it is it is a far distance, but the team again playing in Atlantic Ten, we're used to some of these travels. So uh, I think it, it's positioning us to have have good legs on Friday. Do you sit at the same spot in the bus whenever you're on a bus trip? I sure do. Row two, right side. It's been okay. that way for twelve years here. Do you have somebody in front of you, or are you uh, are you uh, nothing in front of you? No, I do. It's typically our director of ops, State Development, right now. It's one of our assistant coaches. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not in front of the bus. All no. right, fair enough. Well, Coach, uh, we are so rooting for you, and it's such a great story uh, what your program has once again done this season. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll continue to chat as uh, as you continue to win. So uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Best of luck on Friday. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we are having uh, more and more conversations moving forward. Absolutely. Thanks so much, and good luck to Coach Tiller tonight.
Coach Shields joining us. Coach Katie Shields from the uh, St. Louis University women's soccer team en route to State College, Pennsylvania. They flew into Pittsburgh. They uh, trained at a USL practice facility, or uh, tra- I don't know if it's a practice facility or if it was just their stadium, whatever it was. Uh, and then they got on a bus and they were driving, are driving to uh, State College, PA, and they're going to match up against Georgetown coming up on Friday afternoon in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Again, we're done early today. We've got St. Louis University women's basketball tonight. We got a lot of bat in the next 24 hours. You're going to hear a lot of slew basketball here on KMOX because we've got slew women's basketball tonight. And then uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to have a slew men's basketball, and that's going to be an afternoon game. They are matched up against Wyoming. That's uh, at the Myrtle Beach Invitational, and uh, it's going to be a 1 o'clock start tomorrow. So Bob Ramsey, Earl Austin Jr., they've got the call of the game starting at 1245 tomorrow afternoon. We will take a break, come back, and uh, get into our final segment of the program. Want to do a little hockey, a little baseball as well. Didn't get into all the baseball stuff in my first segment that I wanted to, so we'll try to get all that in before we call it a night and wrap up this edition of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. It's the Graybar Sports Open Line. Those bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Just a few minutes left in the program. We're done early today. St. Louis University women's basketball. They match up against Missouri State over at uh, Chaffetz Arena. Our coverage begins at 645. Tom Ackerman with the call of the game tonight. Now, Matt Pajeski, tonight is the Billiken Beach Party at Chaffetz Arena. I believe like the first 500 students were getting um, beach shirts, slew-themed beach shirts. Or, would you wear that? You you've, you you wear the, uh, li- you like the, um, oh, the, the, the button-down shirt that they give away at Cardinal Games. Like a bowling shirt. Yeah, it was like a bowler shirt. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of your style. I do like those shirts. I would wear a Hawaiian shirt for sure, especially in support of slew. Would you wear a Hawaiian shirt to work just overall? Um... Boy, it had to be a Friday in July or something like that. It okay. had to be a casual Friday or something. I owned, and I have no, it's, it's probably long gone, thrown away. I owned one Hawaiian shirt in my entire life. Back when I worked in minor league baseball, we had like a, a luau night or a Hawaiian night or something, and everybody on staff was expected to wear Hawaiian shirts. And I remember going to JCPenney or Macy's or whatever it was in Burlington, Iowa, and finding myself a... Uh, a Hawaiian shirt and just trying to find the cheapest Hawaiian shirt possible because this might shock you. I was not swimming in money when I was the voice of the Burlington Bees. Are you equating money and lots of it with ownership of Hawaiian shirts? Well, you know what? They're not. Uh, some Hawaiian shirts are a little bit pricey. I don't know. You go that. get like a Tommy Bahama yeah. Hawaiian shirt. That's not cheap. Well, you don't have to go to Tommy Bahama. You can go to TJ Maxx and get a little knockoff. I, you know what? They didn't have a TJ Maxx in Burlington, Iowa. Well, that sucks for you. You should have been in St. Louis where there's TJ Maxx's galore. There are TJ Maxx's and Marshall's and Ross's. Yeah. And, and you know, you can, occasionally you can maybe get a wine shirt like a Costco or a Sam's during the summertime. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's certainly an option. So, Billiken Beach Party tonight. And uh, hopefully it is a party for the uh, team as well in the sense that they can come away with a victory. We learned today that Major League Baseball might be reducing the pitch clock even more. And um, I'm not going to be upset about this one. It's It really doesn't it's kind of, It's actually kind of funny. And there was so much consternation from a certain contingent of baseball fans before the season because of the pitch clock. 
And I can't tell you how many people came to me and said it was going to change the game and how many people said that, you know, then, then you would have the occasional pitch clock violation that kind of looked bad. And those videos would go on social media from the people who uh, just wanted to push forward with one narrative. And it really, in the grand scheme of things, it sped up the game significantly, but it really it didn't impact the game. It, did, yeah, it didn't impact the on-field game. There's going to be people out there who are going to tell you that pitchers' injuries went up because of it. That's bull. That's total 100% bull you-know-what because pitchers' injuries have been going up and up and up and up on an every-year basis. And were there more pitchers' injuries this past year than there was the year before? Yes, there were. But – they were they actually this past year if you were to like chart it on a graph the inc- the percentage increase of pitchers injuries this past season prior to the season before was actually less it increased at a lesser rate so for people who are trying to say that this is connected to the pitch clock the the data would tell you otherwise in a in a very big way i to me i i kind of laugh at this because it doesn't seem like this is really needed. I'm not going to be against it. I like the pitch clock. I like the game moving along. Uh, what they're going, what they'd like to do, and the competition committee can just basically do this. The competition committee has more baseball people on it than players people on it, if that makes sense. More people from teams than from uh, the players association. So if, if they want a rule to move forward, they can just basically do it. But what would happen is the pitch clock with runners on base would reduce from the current 20 seconds to 18 seconds. So when runners are on base, uh, it would be two less seconds on the pitch clock. Now the, the clock when runners are not on base, it is currently 15 seconds. So, and that would not change. That would stay at 15. You get a few extra uh, seconds when runners are on base. It was 20 this past year. They want to move it down to 18. Now, the the ESPN report, the Jeff Passan report on this, says that Major League Baseball was a little bit concerned that game time started to move in an upward direction over the final third or so of the season. Because there are still things you can do inside of an at-bat. There's still an opportunity for a hitter to step out one time per at-bat. There's still an opportunity for a pitcher to, to step off. You have limited throws over to first base. And when the season was getting started it seemed like there was so much focus on the pitch clock that that stuff wasn't happening. There wasn't a whole lot of stepping out. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of stepping off, things like that. It just, um, it, they were just playing straight through. And then as everybody kind of got used to the pitch clock and what it was going to look like, things changed. We saw hitters using their step out more often and pitchers stepping off, so on and so forth. And, that resulted in the game times going up. Game time actually increased by about seven minutes over the final month or so of the season. It would, it's kind of hard. Honestly, it's a little bit hard to judge here in St. Louis. Up until the final month, month and a half of the uh, season, the Cardinals were had played the longest games in baseball. The pitch clock impacted the Cardinals less than it impacted other teams. 
Uh, for for the first month, month and a half, two months of the season, Boston played the longest nine-inning games in baseball. Then the Cardinals passed by them. They played the longest nine-inning games. And then it wasn't until after the trade deadline where the roster very much changed and the level of competitiveness changed that uh, the, the games actually moved a little bit faster for the Cardinals. But for the bulk of the season especially prior to the trade deadline, the Cardinals played the longest games, longest nine-inning games in baseball. That was tracked, and that's where they were at. So I don't have a problem with it. Taking two seconds off when there's runners on base, uh, you didn't see pitchers uh, delivering pitches with two seconds on the clock that often. It was generally before that. So I think this is going to have a very negligible impact. The, the impact's already been made on the way the rule was. If if baseball's worried about those extra seven minutes in the final month of the season and they want to do something about it, and that thing is to take two seconds off the pitch clock when runners are on, okay. I, again, this is going to be something that I just don't think is going to uh, impact the game all that much. It hasn't been approved yet, but it likely is to be approved. All right, that's it. That is it for this edition of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. St. Louis University women's basketball on the way next right here on KMOX. KMOX.